Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. The climb is designed not only to discover the best you, but discover the best possible way to live the best you. Now, uh, if you've followed the blog any this week, you've seen resources and tools and, 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 and homework and assignments that give you opportunities to rethink what the Lord might have for you in this new year, which is awesome. But uh, I, I am a firm believer, and even more so today than even a week ago, I am a firm believer that while some of these tools and some of these things are, thank you, Dean, are so incredibly valuable, and our ability to stop and, and take inventory of our life and reassess the future and direction of our life, while I find that to be exhilarating and, and extraordinary, I know that I know that I know, given our human propensity, that earlier this week, our local gyms were filled with people with new Nike sweatshirts. And by Thursday of this week, those same people will be in line in front of you at Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> getting two eclairs, not three, because we're going to go for a healthier new year. Because it's not in our nature to change well. It is not in our nature for many of us to, to change the most significant parts of our life because somewhere along the line, somebody convinced us that who we are cannot necessarily change. And those parts of us that we have either made a mistakes on in our life or those parts that we've kind of set aside for years or those parts in our life that we just want to remain hidden, that many of those things, if we can just put a better face on, on what's going on in our life, we can put a better face on it, then surely that's change. That if, we, that if we can look a little better and walk a little better and talk a little better, then what we've done is we've made our life better. If, if we have read a few John Maxwell books, surely we are a leader. If we, if, we, if we dress a little better and we work on our weight a little bit or if we, we grow our hair a little differently or we, we put our makeup a little differently or all the other things that happen on the exterior, many of us, because that's part of our human frailty, but it's also part of our human psyche, that if we, if we can look the part, then everything should be okay. But you know, the, the fact of the matter is, looking the part or looking okay is not the goal. I mean, God was so abundantly clear. We know so many wonderful things about King David. We're reminded in Scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. How wonderful is that, right? We're reminded that David was a mighty warrior. How awesome is that? We know that David killed a lion. David killed a bear. We know that David took on Goliath when nobody else would. We know that David won. We know that David was, was single-handedly putting the nation of Israel back together after it had been in remnants. We know that David sang unto the Lord. We know that he danced with joy. We know he was a shepherd boy. What we might remember is in the shepherd fields outside of Bethlehem, where Ruth and Boaz had their thing going on, a prophet Samuel came on orders from the Lord God 
to find the king for Israel that would replace Saul because, you see, God didn't intend nor did he need a king for his people, but his people said, we need somebody who looks kingly. We need someone who is presidential. We need someone who is stately. We need someone who commands authority. And so Saul became the king of Israel. And as it turns out, as you know the story, Saul wasn't necessarily a man that was near David. He wasn't after God's own heart. He wasn't after the things of God. Saul was after the things of Saul. Saul was after his kingdom, not the kingdom of God. And so God says to the prophet Samuel, go find my king. And as Samuel goes to do that, he is headed toward the home of Jesse, who has a handful of boys, something I would know nothing about with all my girls. And he begins looking at, at Jesse's boys, and he sees a couple of the older boys, and he's like, you know, that guy, he looks like a king. He looks stately. He looks, he looks like he can command authority. He's a natural-born leader. His jaw sticks out, and he's got a heavy beard and a head full of hair, and he's burly, and he's, he's a man's man. And he's thinking, that's the man. And God says to the prophet, and I want to make sure that you hear this, God says to the prophet, wait a minute. This is not about the outward appearance and in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the message that God gives to the prophet is the same message he gives to you on your climb for this year, right now, today. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Now, keep that up there for a minute, guys. Would you read this with me? Just read it. Well, let's go. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when we say around here that every teaching Jesus has for you, every promise God has for you, it is always and will always be a matter of your heart. It is not about your outward appearance. It's not whether you look like you're spiritual. It's not whether you look like you go to church. It is not whether you look like you're after God's own heart. Because you see, the only person that can measure that effectively is the Lord God himself who created you, who gave you that heart, who wants to massage that heart, who wants to own that heart, who wants to sit on the throne of that heart because he's not looking for what you can be outside. He's looking for all he wants you to be inside. And when we become all God wants us to be inside, our outside is so appealing that the world can't help but follow the message of God because it's leading us from the inside out. And so when we begin to climb, when you want to tackle all that God has in front of you this year, when you've got goals and you've got desires and you've got resolutions, you've got dreams for you, you've got dreams for your spouse, you've got dreams for your children, you've got dreams for your family, for your career, for your finances. None of these things are going to happen apart from God doing a work and a change in our heart. You see, the message that God gave to 
Samuel was find someone where God is resting on their heart. So I guess the question I would have for you as we begin this climb, as we get ready to get on this journey, is not have you bought all the right tents, is not have you got the right hiking boots, it's not have you prepared for the weather, it's really not if you have, have been working out to get yourself prepared for, 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 for the journey. The question I would have for you is this, what condition is your heart in? Now you could say, well, Chuck, clearly better than yours, but I don't mean physically. What I, what I mean is, what condition is your heart in according to the Lord God, your creator, the divine, who not only birthed you, created you, had plans for you before you were even born, who knew your name and knew the plan for you before you were even in your mother's womb, what would he say is the condition of your heart? So when you go to the hospital, you go to a doctor, and oftentimes if you're in pain, they ask you this simple question. They'll say, so on a pain scale of one to 10, one is you're just hunky-dory, and 10 is you're dying. I guess I would ask you spiritually, where's your heart? Is it a one? Is it a 10? Maybe like many people, it's a four or a five. I, I read earlier this week that seven in 10 Americans in a recent study from last month said seven out of 10 Americans are genuinely not happy with their life. Let that sink in. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three are happy. Seven are not happy, not pleased with their life. But you know what I've discovered? We don't really change until A, there's enough pain in our life that forces us to change. B, there's enough reward in our life that causes the change to be less painful. And C, when we are openly and clearly trying to work with other people in a community that they can encourage us to be a part of change. And it doesn't happen apart from that. And you take someone who has smoked for, for years and years and years and years. I'm not here to condemn you about smoking. Listen, that's, 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 not, that's not what I'm here to do today. But, but what I can say to you is this, I, I can't tell you how many men I know gave up cigarettes the day they became a grandparent. I, I can't tell you how many people after they got a diagnosis that, that they were in significant trouble decided now's the time to change. I don't, I don't know how many people, obese, overweight, et cetera, do what I did and waited until things started getting difficult a couple of years ago and decide, okay, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta change this, I gotta take charge. But you know what's happened? Like everybody who chooses to make a significant change based on the spirit and, and the power of God at work in our heart from the inside out, the reward that keeps coming from the obedience to change is overwhelmingly more powerful and more enjoyable than the tolerance and the pain you might think about the change. So w before I can leave the hospital the other day, they made me go to a heart class. I'm like, what in heaven's name, a heart class? I'm a pastor, I get the heart thing, are you kidding me? So I'm sitting down and this lady who's clearly far more overweight than I am, she, this, she, was, she was a healthy lady. I, I knew there was no way to get out of that one before I had dug a hole. So forgive me, I'm sorry. And, and she, she's describing to this class 
about, about when you've got heart problems, how you have to change the way you eat and, 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 and move, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this lady sitting next to me who, who's 64, right? So she's seven years older than I'm, she's 64. And she apparently has never had a problem in her life over Christmas, has uh, four blockages they have to go in and they got stents and they worked on her and you know, she looks like she's doing good and whatnot. And about halfway through this lady talking about what you can eat, I'll never forget this lady says, so wait a minute, whoa. She said, are you telling me that I can't go to Norman's Landing every Monday night and get a hamburger and french fries? Here's a lady that a week ago was on the door of death and her concern is burgers and fries. Am I the only one that sees the irony in that? She goes on, the teacher's trying to be nice and you know this is all about moderation but fries may not be best for you. And she goes on another two or three minutes, same lady says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you telling me are you absolutely telling me that I'm done with ice cream? I thought I'd answer for her. I said, are you on crack? <laughs> you just died almost. You're worried about ice cream. What's wrong with you? But I, I was slightly nicer than that. It was more like, come on, we, listen. which is what I want to say to some of y'all on Sunday morning every now and then, to be honest with you. Come on, Sarah, wake up, listen. Same lady, I'm talking three or four minutes later. She says, but lasagna's good, right? <laughs> and it hit me then. Bless her heart, she has never, ever considered what she had to eat before. And now change is inflicted upon her and she is so concerned about the pain of change that she cannot imagine the benefit of the change. And she is stagnated by it. I'm telling you, this lady is totally freaked out. By the end of the class, I got it. She leaned over to me and she said, would you talk to my husband for me? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know which one he is, but we'll see. And, and so she points him out, and I said, what would you like? Do, do you have a spiritual need? you want me to pray with you? How can I help you? She said, no, no, no. My husband is so OCD. You know what he just heard this lady say? I can never eat anything good again. I'm going to eat styrofoam with him for the rest of my life. We've been married 55 years, and I'm considering divorce right now. <laughs> so I did. I got them together, and I prayed over them. And my prayer was, dear Lord, would you protect this dear man from this lady? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to see on the evening news this week, heart patient kills perfectly healthy husband. <laughs> but the climb has to be built on something foundational or what will happen is on our journey on the climb, we're going to do, we're, we're going we're, we're to get halfway up. And, and I learned this walk in the Appalachian Trail this year, that there are times when you're on the way up the mountain that everything in you wants to say, I'm done. I am so done, I'm done, done. I want to sit down. I want to have a cup of coffee. I want somebody to rub my feet. And I want to be comfortable because this right here is stupid. But if you stop, 
The problem is you're going to feel good for a minute. And when the people you're with go ahead to the summit and on their way back from the summit, they see you sitting there rubbing your feet, having a cup of coffee, you know what you're going to feel like? Why didn't I go that far? Why didn't I push on? Why did I stop? Why did I stop? I stopped because it was convenient. I stopped because it was comfortable. I stopped because I didn't want difficult times. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be tired. I didn't want to be maxed out. What I wanted was comfort. This is why we don't change well. But this foundational part of getting on the climb Grabbing those resources in the blog, listening to the podcast, trying to get your life and focus it on accomplishing something extraordinary. If it's not built on something deeply foundational, birthed in your heart, you will fail. Now, you may look like you succeeded. You may feel like the people around you are congratulating you like you succeeded. But at the end of the day, if the deep foundational part of the climb doesn't happen in our heart, at the end of the day, everything we attempt will be indeed in vain. And I don't know about you, but one thing I learned in climbing is this, that you never want to have to retrace those steps again. If your goal is to go from where you are to where God wants you to be, you don't want to have to learn those lessons over and over and over again. If the lesson you're feeling right now is we are in such debt that it is literally sucking the life out of our marriage and our family, you know the lesson learned is do all you have to do to get out of debt so that you don't have to get in debt again so you can learn the lesson, right? Don't we understand that? Don't we get that? If, if you went into this year and you thought my goal is to get healthy, let me just remind you that this is a climb that doesn't happen in five steps in one day, one book and a magic pill. You're going to have a season in which you must climb. You're going to have a season in which you must stick with it. And so what you choose to change, if it is not grounded within you that is foundational, the minute that it becomes a challenge, you're done. Now you can say, Chuck, you speak with such authority on this. Do you know how many times I have started things and been done because the cost seemed too great? And do you know what I have learned at 57? I never, ever once again to look back, I never want to look back on my life and ever say this again, I wish I would have. I never want to look back on my life and think to myself, I should have, I could have, but I didn't. My desire for you as a church is that you would never, ever have to look back on your life and say, I wish I had trusted God more. I don't want you to have to look back and say, I wish I had chosen to walk with God. I wish I'd chosen that his plan was best for my life. I never want you to have to look back and say, you know what, I threw my life away in foolishness, but I could have walked with God. You know, one of the things that I think drive people crazy about me and about Sugar Hill Church, and Lord knows I know I drive people crazy. I had two or three families at the end of the, at the, end of the year that said, Chuck, I just can't take you anymore. We gotta leave the church where you, know, you don't teach deep enough. You don't exegete passages deep enough. You're not deep enough. Let me just share this with you. If the theology that you want isn't good enough for a single mom in Haiti, you're at the wrong church. And, and, and if, if we aren't focused on this one thing that Jesus is enough, you're at the wrong church. If you're looking for somebody to try to take you deeper, but not in the belief that Jesus is enough in all facets of your life, wrong pastor. Because let me say this and say this with clarity. 
I had two people this morning say, we heard you're leaving. I wish somebody would tell me. <laughs> and if I am, could you find a church that pays their pastor a million dollars a year? And it's on the beach and it's never cold and you never worry about it snowing again. And by the way, you could all go with me and they'd call it Sugar Hill Church. <laughs> Seeing how it doesn't seem like that's the option, you're stuck. <laughs> but let me tell you what you're stuck with. You're stuck with the firm belief that when I say, when we get Jesus in the right priority in our life, that is not a slogan. That is the firm belief that the word of God promises that he and he alone died for you, that you might have life in abundance and you might have life eternally. And if you need to go deeper than that, let me just stop and say, get that right first. Get that right first. And if you're thinking, Chuck, you're gonna stroke out and have a heart attack today, if so, let it be saying Jesus is enough. <laughs> the psalmist in Psalm 100 writes my favorite psalm. It is the picture of this foundation we desperately need in our heart, and watch this, in our heart and in our daily activity. It is the renewing of the mind as Paul talks about, it is the refreshing of the heart that David teaches. It is the change in our life that James writes about. It is the reason why in Matthew we hear the story that Jesus came. It is the reason why the gospels tell us the story that he came to die. It is the reason why his blood was shed for you and for me. And it is all located in Psalm 100. Let me read it to you. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Well, let me just stop and look at that last phrase. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. The Perkins family, I always see here, they're always here. They, there are four generations of Perkins in this church. Four generations of Perkins in this church. Let me just say to all y'all, what a blessing. What an incredible story. What a great picture that four generations of a family have said that they're going to continue with the faithfulness of God. Shout with, the, with joy to the Lord. And you say, well, Chuck, that just sounds like one of those Psalms. It's flowery. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't, it doesn't minister to my soul. It's not going to help me on the climb, put one foot in front of the other. It's not going to help me get when I get to the, to the middle part and want to want to stop. Oh, but I, I, I think, I think it does. You see, Psalm 100 is an invitation. Now, you may not think it is, but it's an invitation to the climb. I know that because at the time that, that this was penned, it was an invitation for people that were, that were journaling, that, that were journeying and were on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The beginning part of this text talks about what you do on the way to the land and the house of God. 
Now, the second part of that is what happens when you arrive at the house of God, when you arrive in the land of God. So the climb is so extraordinarily beneficial here. Why should I go and how would I climb? And secondarily, when I get there, what should I expect? You see, to climb for no reason, that's one thing. On the other, to climb with purpose is an entirely different thing. To climb with purpose says, when things get difficult, I know why I am doing this. I know why I am sacrificing. I know why I'm surrendering. I know why I'm choosing this journey. I know why I'm taking the road of the second mile, even though it's never crowded. And you say, well, well, Chuck, what did you get out of that text? Well, watch this. The first thing it says is shout victoriously to the Lord. Shout victoriously to the Lord. Go ahead and shout. Now, I'm going to ask you to try something for me, all right? Now, I'm, you, I'm, you're probably like me. You get to church and you hear things like shout, and you immediately start thinking about wackadoo preachers. You immediately start thinking about folks swinging from the rafters and running around here and just going nutso, all right? But the fact is, many of us, in different circumstances in our life, we, we shout. Like, you know, I, certain ball games, I shout. I, you know, when I was playing ball, one of the things I learned, when the ball is loose, you know what you do? You shout. What do you, all you ball players are, when the ball's on the ground in football, what do you shout? Ball. ball. That's right. Who said that? That was awesome. Yeah. Interaction. Let's try it again. You know, when the ball's on the ground, all you ball players, what do you say? Ball. Some of y'all never played ball in your life, and you're like, ball. Yeah. So, but that's what you do, right? And then you jump on the ball. Shout victoriously to the Lord. Let's, let's try something. In a second, I'm, I'm going to read the fifth verse. And at the end of the first fifth verse, I want you to shout whatever you want to shout. All right? Now, if you just want to holler, it's like, woo, you know, that's cool. Now, if you're like totally reserved kind of person, you know, you may want to go like with a, you know, that's cool, you know. If you're like not totally reserved, you want to go with it, just knock yourself out. Just, it's like, shout, all right? And it, totally cool, all right? Like, you, you want to shout, go dogs, that's cool. You know, you want to shout, you know, we'll just stick with that. And so, so I'm going to read the fifth verse. You just shout, right? Totally interactive, all right? How many of you have already decided I ain't doing this? Thank you for your honesty. How many of you are not listening or wondering why other people raise their hands? Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, so let's try it. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Can you imagine what would happen in a normal Sunday that I didn't ask you to do that for a first-time guest? One of two things is true. It'd be, okay, these people are totally cool. They're into it. I want to I figure out what they're into. Let's do this. Or it would be like, oh, my gosh these people are crazy. But you know, we, we don't often shout to the Lord, do we? Most of us, the best we do in a shout to the Lord is when we throw out an, oh my God, which doesn't qualify. And by the way, he's worthy of better than that. He is the divine creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all life. He is not, oh my God, and he is not the man upstairs. He is the divine Trice holy, God. He's worthy of better. Shout victoriously in the Lord. The word here 
literally means to sound an alarm. Sound an alarm. Now, you know, in, in a room like this, in a church like ours, if the fire alarm went off right now, and it has before, you know, some kid got a little jacked up on sugar down there in the kids' department and hit it, you know. It was funny. I'll never forget the Sunday it happened. Nobody moved. <laughs> the alarm is screaming at us. Exit the building. A fire has been reported. You look around at people, they're like, I don't think so. I smell smoke, there's doors over there, I ain't going. It's like I give up my seat, somebody's gonna move in, uh-uh, not gonna do it. <laughs> Nobody moved. And then a after a while, you know, there's like, there's, there's always like that kindergarten teacher who's like, okay, this is the time for the fire drill. I know we're supposed to go outside and get counted. Are you with me? But, but this is to sound an alarm. You know what the alarm is? is we're just, it, it is the alarm that says, don't you see the glory and the goodness of God. Don't you see that the divine wants this intentional and wondrously personal relationship with you? He doesn't, he doesn't care that last night you totally blew it. He doesn't care that you've got this addiction you're dealing with. He doesn't care that you've been divorced. He doesn't care that you've got a whacked out life. He doesn't care if you drink a cold beer and he doesn't care if you cuss. What he wants is this, he wants your heart and when you give it to him, those issues get settled. Because you see, most of the time we try to fix them, but we can't fix them apart from him. And by the way, church, we're not gonna fix them by screaming at people that are dealing with them. Because you see, the single best thing we can do is have our heart moved toward the divine to the degree that we would ask the heart of the divine to be turned for them. Shout to the Lord victoriously, shout. Secondly, I think it's real clear here, serve the Lord and be thrilled about it. What does it say? Shout to the Lord, worship the Lord with gladness. That word worship in many other translations is translated serve. Because you see, when you're serving the Lord, you are worshiping the Lord. In somehow, some way in the modern church, we turn two words, worship and praise, into music. Music can be and is a part of worship, but so is service. And by the way, one is not more important than the other. Both are required. Singing is not more important than being a house of prayer. Teaching and preaching is not important than the reading of the Word of God. But you see, if we're going to get on the journey, stay on the journey, and win in the journey, we're going to have to do more than just shout. We're going to also have to serve. You say, well, Chuck, I, I knew there was a catch here. Not really. No, I'm not saying you got to serve in this church, around this church, and for this church. Now, I, I would like for you to. I would urge for you to. And you say, well, you know, Chuck, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't really, I don't, I don't want to lead a group. Okay, go to one. Be faithful to one. Well, you know, Chuck, groups are not really for me. Oh, that's awesome because you have memorized and know everything there is to know about God. Then you should be leading a group. No, Chuck, I'm just not very social. Yes, you are. You're here. I mean, seriously, you, you had coffee with somebody this morning, I'm sure. You, you got on a road filled with people. You didn't ride here all by yourself. That car you bought, you bought from somebody. Do, do I need to keep going on? 
You say, well, yeah, but, well, Chuck, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to serve the, those teenagers. Man, they drive me back crazy. I, I can't, I got a house full of them. No, I, I don't want to do that on Sunday or Wednesday. Okay, that's cool. That's not for you. Don't do it. Got it. Chuck, I, it, the minute I say I'm going to serve in middle schoolers, you're going to know you need to check me in some other place. Okay, don't do it. Okay, but Chuck, seriously, to go work down there in children in preschool, do you realize Gina drives me back crazy? She puts her head down and she bulldozes through things and she doesn't stop and she's not super sweet and nice and talk to me. You're right. But that's going to keep you from serving the Lord. Well, I got to tell you, Chuck, you know what? You're just, you're a bully from the pulpit. You, you're, you're all about this. Thing. You're, you want to get this Jesus thing right. You want us to stop criticizing the world and take care of our own life. And you want us to focus on getting our life focused on God instead of screaming at what's wrong with the world. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't, that's not for me. Okay, cool. Yeah, but working in preschoolers, Chuck, seriously, have you seen what some of those diapers do on a Sunday morning? Really? Oh, yeah. Well, Chuck, to be out there and be a greeter, I mean, come on. I mean, I don't even like people. We have several greeters I'm sure don't like people. <laughs> and yet, every time I see them, they're like, hey, how you doing? And I say, you're growing to like people, aren't you? And they're like, no. No, not going to do it. You see, what happens is when we decide we're going to shout to the Lord, we're going to send an alarm about the goodness of God, we're going to recognize that his faithfulness continues through every generation, our heart is moved to serve. And it's, it's not because there's a guilt thing being played out. It's not because, hey, we need help, and if you don't serve, nobody's going to. It's not about putting up pictures of starving kids and you got to give because to go to Haiti. It's because in your heart, when you have shout to the Lord, you've called out an alarm to yourself, you've been invited onto this climb with the Lord being at work inside of you, you're going to naturally want to find where God wants you to serve, and you're going to do it. And you say, well, Chuck, you know what? That's, that, that, that might be what you think. No, no. If, if you have a problem with that one, don't take it up with me. Take it up with God because he's the one that pinned it. What's the third part of this? Step into his presence and sing. Step into his presence and sing. So I was talking with a, uh, I was talking with a, a, a church member the, uh, uh, the, on, on uh, Monday. And he said, man, I just, I love our church. I said, I'm so glad, buddy. That's great. He's been here about a year. So I really, I, I, I love our church. He said, you know what I do? I've, it's something I've never, ever done in my life. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. He said, I sing. I said, well, you've never done that before? He said, well, like not in front of people. I said, well, like, like ever? No, I can't sing. I said, so like when you're in the car and, and a really great song comes on, do you sing with the radio? Yeah. I said, well, do you like totally get into it like people look at you like wacko? Yeah. I said, doesn't the same thing happen when you walk into the presence of God and when you walk into the presence of God and you kind of walk into his living room and you crawl up next to him and the fire's going on, you know, and all of a sudden he breaks out in great song and you're like, I'm in this. He's, yes, yeah, just like that. I said, this is what happens when the alarm is sounded. This is what happens when we choose to worship and service. What happens, what comes out of us is a song. What comes out of us is a song. You know what I have really noticed? That 
At no other time in life do we jump out and sing unless the soul is ready to sing. I, I don't see miserable singing. I, I, really, I never see... I never see somebody who's just in the dumps and in the valley and miserable and no way out. And I, I, I never see them going, it's the climb. Somebody asked if we were going to do the, the Miley Cyrus version of this. I said, only if Hector will wear that leotard. He said, no, thank Jesus. But you know what else it calls us to? It calls us to acknowledge that he is God. Psalm 100 says, okay, I shout to the Lord. Worship and serve the Lord. Step into the presence of God. You say, well, Chuck, I, don't really, I don't know how to step into the presence of God. All right, I want you to go here with me, all right? Just close your eyes for a minute. All right, I know some of you are your mind. The minute you close your eyes, it's like Waffle Isles. Put your hands in your lap. Draw a really deep breath in through your nostrils. Hold it for a second and then let it slowly out through your mouth. Do it again. One more time. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. Sound familiar? Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Sing it with me. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. How great thou art, how great thou art. God, thank you that you are good, that you make our crooked path straight, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that your promises are always fulfilled. Even in the times of peril, you're working in our life for our good. You bring us together, not just for our good, but for your glory. God, today we need your strength, your wisdom. God, we have friends that are in desperate need of you to be their healer. Would you do that in their life this day? And would you give us joy in this climb? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You see, the next thing says, get in the game. Speaking specifically of the kingdom of God. It is this sense that let us, let us not be consumed with the climb. Let us be consumed with God. Because to, to have a heart ablaze and on fire for the things of God, it doesn't matter how steep the climb is. It doesn't matter all of the pitfalls that are ahead. He he is the one that we shout for. Oh, and, 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 and how, do you, how, do you, how do you act when you get into his kingdom? What should you expect when you come into God's house and into his favor and into his glory? What, what do you do? You, you give thanks to God. You're grateful. 
You say, well, Chuck, I don't even know how to do this. Every morning, first thing, write down three things you're grateful for. This morning I wrote down, I'm, I'm grateful for you. I may not even know you. I'm so, look at you, you're at church today. You let some knucklehead like me preach. I, I'm grateful for you. I'm, I'm grateful that we made it through the holidays with our family, as crazy as it is. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful my heart's beating just fine. And I finished with that sense of gratitude, and I said, God, we got folks in our church with cancer that would you just reach down in your unbelievable healing power and touch their life with healing. I'm so grateful you hear us and you answer us. So this year, let us shout. Let us serve. Let us sing. Let's acknowledge he is God. We are not. This is his church. It's not mine. It's not yours. This is his. It is his will we seek after. It is his heart that we long for. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to every generation. If we're going to climb, let's climb that way. Father, we love you. God, the climb in this life will leave us angry. At times, it will leave us unfulfilled. It will leave us empty or lonely or fearful. And yet you, the divine, said you would indeed without any hesitation always be good and that your unfailing love would continue forever and that your faithfulness would continue to every generation, including ours right now. God, may we choose to worship and stay on your course for this life, this climb, this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. I want to ask our team to come forward now and take up an offering. And, and then, heck, you're going to sing the song, right? Isn't the name of that song, My Victory? Yeah. Golly, that's a great song. Maybe today you need to hear about your victory. So uh, after you give... Shout to the Lord a little bit. Sing. Worship. You've come into his place. This invitation from Psalm 100 was, hey, come on and do these things. And when you get here, you know what they would sing to those pilgrims? He's so good. Sing. Celebrate. Hey, thank you. It, the end of last year, we said, hey, man, let's, let's just try the most unbelievable thing and let's see if the Lord might work through his people and we might could raise $550,000. Man, at about week four, I thought, dear Lord, what was I thinking? And not only are we not going to make it, this is going to be an embarrassment. Then I got word that, you know, Chuck, for the Lord is good and his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation because you see you, his people, you, you, did about, you didn't do 550, you did about 650. Come on, you blew my mind. Who does that? Seriously, thank you. And then of course on January 1, your offering was $14,700. 
which is exactly $52,000 under budget. <laughs> Always keeping us on our toes. Father, would you take these offerings meant to minister to people in your name and to make a difference for your cause that we might shout and sing and trust and pray and we might walk into your presence and know that our Father is always good. I pray every offering already given online or through the app, Lord, that you would bless that family. For every gift that is about to be given, would you richly bless that family. Give us great wisdom to serve you and to use these funds for your glory, for your kingdom, because your word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. May we never stop proclaiming your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.